Welcome to One Quick Point, the strategy-focused podcast focused on the one key element communications and marketing professionals can use to be the critical link to their success. I'm your host, James Walker. Let's jump in. We have an amazing episode to close out the year. I talked to an old friend of mine, Tejas Tatare. He's the chief technology officer at Ruder Finn, a global PR firm. And he comes to shed light on what we start off talking about, which is 2021 comms trends. But what we quickly get into starts to run the gamut. I mean, we talk everything from advocacy, audience targeting and segmentation. You know, I have a heart for that. Audio tweets, cameo, WWE, Conquered Flights, India and Cricket Matches, and the best song to ever hit the charts, Return of the Mac. Without further ado, let's jump in. Thank you for joining us today, Tejas. Hey, thank you, James. It's great to be here, and hello to all the listeners out there. People don't usually greet the listeners, but I appreciate it. No, I always, I, I love the listeners because, you know, that's what makes the podcast interesting. You know, otherwise it's just you and me talking, you know, we could have just called each other. <laughs> it's been a weird year for PR and marketing. And in some ways it felt like we were making some progress and others, it didn't feel like that much progress was being made. It seemed like you may COVID may have, you know, shut down innovation in the same way it shut down the rest of the world. So I'd love to get your take on that. You know, do you feel like we're continuing to evolve in our industries and, and everything else? Or do you feel like we've kind of taken a little bit of a backseat as we've tried to figure out what's going on? So um, I, I think in general, I would say we are moving forward. And when, when we say innovation, right, I mean, there are different types of innovation, right? I mean, the, the fact that we are in a place where we, you know, have a vaccine in under 12 months, that's innovation, right? I mean, uh, what better what better use case for innovation can you think of than, you know, it's never been done before and it has been done. I mean, the first trucks with the, with the first shipments, uh, you know, from Kalamazoo went out today. So it, it's, it's fascinating that, that that has happened from a more, you know, industry standpoint and technology standpoint. That is also something which we are seeing happen, you know, quite dramatically, actually, especially over the first few months of the pandemic, when people realized that, you know, you couldn't really just get up and, 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 and go to the ER or go to your physician or, you know, so you saw telehealth, which had been around for a while. It's not entirely a new thing. But you did not really see it being used as much as it was used and used quite successfully. I mean, I I think I read somewhere there was a study by McKinsey which showed how the users who have actually used telehealth plan to use that even after things become normal. And they were really satisfied and happy with the with the fidelity of, you know, experience of, of telehealth and telemedicine. So that's something which, you know, people are some people may never go back unless you really want to see doctor personally for something. I mean, I remember like, you know, having to, you know, uh, reach out to my pediatrician for a couple of things and it was seamless. So I think that's, that's, that's one example of, you know, technology innovation, which has, you know, actually burgeoned and grown because of the needs and the demands. Also, there is, there is this feeling that, you know, what is, what is old is new in a way. We have seen technologies which were considered to be more in the hobbyist realm, voice being one of them which actually had a tremendous use case in the pandemic because, you know, hello, social distancing. So you can't really, uh, you can't really physically meet anyone. So you have to use the other channels like voice, like chatbots. Um, you know, you had uh, Microsoft teaming up with the CDC to produce a chatbot for COVID symptom checking. WHO did a similar chatbot. Uh, I forgot the name, but they, they did another one. So you have these technologies which have been around for a while now. And people have, you know, churlish to discarded some of them as, oh, these are never going to hit prime time. And we saw them hit prime time. We saw robots, actual robots being used in hospitals in Hong Kong, in China, where, you know, because the physician couldn't be there everywhere, they, they sent out ro- robots, which would essentially be these assistants, which are programmed to go to specific rooms, interact with patients, get their vitals and things like that. So, so again, all of these things are essentially born out of the necessity to innovate. And in a, in a way, it's, it's almost catalyzed some of these technologies as opposed to stymieing them. So that's why I think it's, it's, been a, it's been a fair year from a technological innovation standpoint. Definitely not the right circumstances where people would have wanted to use these technologies, but uh, nevertheless, it's, it's progress in that front. 
Well, for sure. I mean, if we're thinking about the healthcare space, which is, at least for our industry, always been the, the steadfast and booming one, that one, they clear. It's clear. And even the things that we, we, many of which you mentioned with telehealth and others, we think about it, yes, that's that's in a space where you could see the innovation happening as, as we went. It was also quite timely in terms of what the needs were. But there's also, when you think about it, a certain pressure that the pandemic put on everybody to have to figure out things that either weren't top of the list or just were getting ignored. The other day we had a company town hall and one of the entertainment guests we had there, and you know, I struggled to say, okay, was it entertainment or guest? Because they, they had a really powerful message. It was a comedian, Maisun Zaid. She's a Palestinian comedian who has cerebral palsy. And she is part of what she shared, which was hilarious, a bunch of stories, quite hilarious. But she shared a message about how you serve differently abled groups. And the fact that a lot of the things that we have now because of the pandemic, with much more things being online, with things like telehealth available, with delivery services, focusing on how they can reach more people instead of where they may have gone geographically and everything else, she said the world's a lot more accessible. And that is something that unfortunately took a pandemic for us to get to. And so in many ways, while we were all and many of us are still thinking, okay, when this thing is over, how we can go back to normal you know, she kind of gave us the message that this normal that we're seeking hopefully doesn't leave out these new innovations that have come in and and made a lot more possible. So, you know, that was a really interesting one. It made me think of it when you mentioned telehealth, because it's something that was really hot and new, it feels like about 18 to 24 months ago in terms of reaching mass scale, but now it's here. And, and the question is, how do we build and grow on that? Mm-hmm. So that was a good one you touched on there. But if we drill down through, maybe it's through the health vein, through to our own industry, do you feel like we, as PR folks, as marketing folks, did we kind of come up with some things that kind of pushed us further? I mean, that's that, that that's interesting because I think a lot of times what we do, we we, we are kind of a mirror to what is happening, you know, in the in in, in the in the world because we, uh, we we don't act in silo, right? I mean, we are definitely someone who who has to kind of keep pace with what's going on. So in, in many ways, what I feel is, especially with regards to PR, what I saw is that there was a lot of interest in terms of communicating to your stakeholders in new and more inclusive ways, I would say. Things which we probably wouldn't have thought of. Like, you know, how do you how do you communicate in the midst of a pandemic? How do you reach out to your key stakeholders, both internal and external? And I remember like at, at the at the, at the very beginning of the pandemic, in the months of March and April, a, a lot of the projects which I personally worked on essentially involved uh, the core tenets of communication and how to successfully get the message through and how to cut the clutter. And I think in, in, in many ways, that was a that was a moment, that was a defining moment for our industry where people realize the, the intrinsic value of, you know, good communications and good communicators because there was just so much disinformation out there. Uh, and to be able to cut through and, you know, to be able to help, um, help clients and help their stakeholders get the information which they need, I think that, uh, I mean, it, you know, not all heroes wear capes, as they say, but I think that personally for me was very fulfilling uh, because I felt like I was doing... I was doing service to some level in terms of, you know, combating the disinformation and the misinformation that was out there, both in terms of how to work in a pandemic, as well as how to kind of stay safe and follow the protocols and follow the science and things like that. So you see a lot of those things happening with regards to uh, other industries in terms of how PR would have shaped the other industries too. So when when I say that, I mean, I, as you know, I was recently on a panel with, uh, with Provoke Media for, for selecting the winners of the Innovation Sabres. Uh, and a lot of the campaigns which I saw were essentially those which were focused on the idea of communicating within a pandemic and helping out industries which are affected during the pandemic, like the restaurant industry, for instance. So a lot of, a lot of that was good PR that shone the light on these industries, which really needed the help at that time. And I think that's that basically was, I would say, the the moment for PR to shine, and, and 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 by and large, we did. Very good, very good. So one of the things that I did as I was trying to process this year and think through this innovation piece is I started to look towards next year, um, using some of the things that happened this year as a bit of a signal. And I recently released a list of 2021 marketing starters, 
really thought starters in a sense that would maybe be a check and balance for some people as they're doing their plans for next year, or just be something that, you know what, as we think about maybe some stretch projects or other things we're going to add into the mix, that they touch on some of these. So I'd love to go through a few of them, if you don't mind, and just kind of get your take on whether or not you're seeing some of these themes or signals, or if there's other ones that you, you're you seeing as we bring up these topics. Good to dig in? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. So, I mean, of course, some of the, the big themes that happen, of course, we have COVID. Uh, we have the mergers of George Floyd, Amara Arbery, and Breonna Taylor. We have the protests that followed. And then we have this rise of allyship, which which turned the conversation into a whole new direction. And then you have the presidential elections. So lots and lots happened in America that would make people think, okay, there's a lot that we can could, can do and should do to better position ourselves and to better exist, I guess, in a sense, as companies, as organizations, as people, as brands. And when I think about how this this has some great potential for next year, the first one, of course, and I think this is a bit of my, my DC orientation, is that issues are in. It, there was a time when you couldn't really talk about these issues at all, and certainly not from a brand perspective, where a brand was weighing in as, as, as the, the voice here. And so now we see that issues are a place where people are popping up. Now, of course, through this year, it's been a lot around race and class and, and justice. But I also see the potential for people to uh, take on certain issues, like we mentioned earlier with telehealth and then accessibility. There are a lot of ways that I see people can start to advocate for things because of the events of this year. There's a lane that's been opened, in my opinion. Are you seeing any of that on your side? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this 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 has been a, a landmark year when it comes to activism. And I know that the word activism gets thrown around quite a lot, but that's really because it is. You're seeing different levels of activism with regards to tech employees or with regards to other industries where you are seeing more and more people and their employers also being in favor of talking about an issue as opposed to shying away from it. Uh, you are seeing, I'm sure you're seeing it at your own workplace where the HR is is more interested in partaking in these type of conversations proactively as opposed to being reactive. And all of this has really helped foster a sense of both inclusivity as well as, you know, being more conscious of what's what's unfolding as opposed to not thinking about it or kind of, you know, siloing yourself into a bubble. One of the one of the things which I remember, you know, was was a popular quote. I think I read it on LinkedIn and it was like it's it's okay to not be okay. And I think people have really taken that up as, as an issue which they're not afraid to talk of anymore. So if you, as a minority, if someone asks you, you know, how are you doing? It's okay for you to say you're not doing well or if you're having a bad day. And I've seen more people give answers like that just because, you know, they, they no longer feel the pressure to simply turn in an answer which will, you know, appease someone who is, you know, probably not facing the same type of issues. So definitely issues are in. And what, what's even better is that more than them just being in, they are now front and center. So they are front and center in terms of people wanting to talk about it, wanting to converse, and really trying to find solutions which will further drive at the heart of inclusion as well as DNI in general. And one more I wanted to jump in on here, which I, I, I'm going to guess this is going to be something you're going to be all about, is this idea of segmentation. So I think as we look through what happened in 2020, what we realized in so many different ways is that there's not one way to slice an audience. And that when you look at people as individuals, we tend to pick what we perceive to be the one or two dominant traits of that audience. And that's what we think we can use in terms of targeting how to advertise to them, how to speak to them. So for example, you could look at me and you could say, okay, we're going to try to reach James. Black male lives in this area, is this age range. You could pick any of those things and try to orient around that but you would leave out a whole lot. You would leave out, went to school in the Washington, D.C. area, went to this specific school, got a master's degree in New York, is originally from New York, lived in these places, families from the Caribbean, first-generation American. Like There are things that you would leave out if you don't look at that. And I think that it became pretty obvious when we saw a lot of the coverage around the election, they were talking about the Latino vote, the Hispanic vote, as if it was one block. Right. And as if there wasn't a difference based on country nationality. And I think coming from the Caribbean, this stuff is obvious to me because there's a region, yes, but each country has its own individual politics and its own individual perspective that is carried along through you. So the idea that there wasn't 
a difference potentially between how Cubans might feel about the candidates and certain policies versus Puerto Ricans. It's a different thing. And I think that we can take a lesson as PR pros and marketers to, to not fall into the easy targeting categories that we try to paint this broad swath with. So a lot of the social networks, when they do their app targeting, it's very broad because they're going for this mass efficiency. But sometimes the greater effectiveness, in my opinion, comes when you dig in and you understand, okay, what are these levers here? And what are the connection points between that person and the thing you're talking about? Might not be the most obvious one that's the most effective. Do you think you agree there? No, totally. I think the the election example which you mentioned is the first thing that came to my mind as soon as I saw this thought starter, because uh, that really it, it's not it and it's it's something which is a a pan national issue at this point. I think because I come from India and I think there's a famous quote about India. It's like India is a continent masquerading as a country. It truly is. I mean, you know, you 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 can go any direction if you're in India. You you travel like. I don't know, like, you know, in some cases, like 10 kilometers, you know, and I'm going to use kilometers because I'm talking about India. So (laughs) you go 10 kilometers in, you know, any direction and your cuisine will change, your your culture can change, your language will most certainly almost change, your dialects can change. It's so when I kind of even think of how, you know, in the U.S., uh, people think of like, oh, he's an Indian. Um, you know, there, there are so many different nuances to every Indian, like, you know, uh, like someone who's from the North is so totally different in terms of their lifestyle, in terms of their habits from someone who's from South, as opposed to someone from East. So I think treating audiences as monoliths is definitely something which is out of fashion. And I think it's going to be condemned to the never to be used again, you know, pile uh, when it comes to communications and marketing, because I think people have learned their lesson, or I hope they have, uh, because that that's that's not going to work anymore. And people are, are are cognizant of the fact now that whenever they see something like that happening, it's almost immediately off-putting for them towards that brand or towards someone who is trying to do that. It's it's it's, it's become crystal clear, and people are unapologetic now. You know, they can they can name you and shame you for doing that. So. And then that puts extra pressure on uh, advertisers, uh, communicators, and brands to kind of not fall into that trap. 100%. The other piece that I wanted to touch on here is something that I'm going to guess to, given your tech interest, you're also into gaming. Oh, yeah. But I, I'll be honest, you know, ever since I've, you know, <laughs> ever since I've become a parent, uh, my gaming days are kind of, you know, kind of behind me, but I can still obviously, you know, I can still relate to them. So I'm, I'm happy to take the question, but I don't know if I'll be cool enough for the people who are actually gaming <laughs> playing those those i don't have a ps5 right now so i don't even have a ps4 can you believe it i mean oh my god i don't know if you should admit you don't have a ps4 i don't have one but I, i'm only joining you in solidarity i if unprovoked <laughs> i wouldn't have said it <laughs> um so what another piece that's coming up interesting is and you can see my theme here of advocacy i just see there's a lot that people can do to make things better and raise uh attention to, to bring attention to a lot of things. There's this theme I'm seeing here where people are driving advocacy through gaming. Now, it was a, it, it's kind of an influencer play. So you get somebody who has some level of influence. They come together. They're playing these games that are insanely popular. Makes sense that they'd be able to draw an audience through something like Twitch. Yeah. But this past year, you're seeing things like LeBron James and, and More Than a Vote going into naturally their space already, NBK 2K21. Mm-hmm. And they are having uh, messages inserted into the games around voting because they knew when the release would come. So they're trying to get people to register to vote. Mm-hmm. That So it just seems like odd bedfellows. But when you think about who it is and what they're about, it makes sense. And then you also have folks like AOC now, what was novelty, now regularly going on Twitch, mm-hmm. playing games and then talking through just how people need to be engaged, either in registering to vote or other issues that they should just be aware of. And it just makes me think about how not only is there something now for the true gamers who are into it and that's their community, but there's also this kind of like tangential way. If you think about media strategy and marketing strategy, where you can reach people who aren't even the hardcore gamers because you're creating news by going into this space and what you're talking about there. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I find that interesting that these communities that were kind of off to the side. It's almost like if you think about out of social networks, it's kind of, this, this thing that's going on right now is kind of like Reddit is being opened up to a lot of people who didn't know about it before almost. To- totally. No, I think 
Twitch is um, Twitch is an interesting play, right? I mean, Twitch is it almost was considered to be a um, a niche subculture of gamers and people who are, you know, and there's a stereotype for that, right? I mean, this is someone who, you know, is, is eating frozen pizza and living in their parents' basement, things like that. And you now know that it's no longer that, that's not the only demographic that is consuming this because you have people who are, um, you know, e, um, e-sports is, 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 a big, is, is a big industry now. And it is, it has evolved beyond that uh, stereotype. Uh, and so it's it's really interesting to see uh, someone like AOC kind of you know, really embracing that platform and coming up with new ways to kind of engage with her key demographic, which actually does fall into that category. And also when you think of how esports are going to evolve to kind of, you know, be broader than what they are. So it's no longer about, oh, this is you know, this is something about Fortnite or this is something about PUBG and and, and things like that. It, it's It's bigger than that because... There are, and what's funny is that in, in many ways, I think memes, and this, is, this, this might sound uh, hilarious, but memes are the true reflection of where we go. Because uh, every time I see a meme evolve, there is a solid story behind it. So when, when PUBG was kind of peaking, uh, and I, I only know this because I have uh, nephews and nieces who are of that age who are, who are actually playing PUBG. And when that was happening, I, I would see so many memes. And I was like, what is PUBG? And this was like a couple of years ago. Uh, and I was like, what is PUBG? And then I then I got to check it out. And I was like, well, you know, if this was 10 years ago, I'd probably really get into it. But right now, I just don't have the time for it. But that's what I'm saying is like, you know, you see these topics and these themes, they're no longer limited to it because they will find a way to come out and become mainstream. Uh, and when they become mainstream, it's already too late for you to tap into it. So I think the opportunity really lies in in in, in trying to capitalize on these new channels before everyone else is doing that. Um, that's essentially what we did with voice, as you remember. You know, we we got into the uh, the voice game pretty early, way earlier than you know anyone else, and we are trying to do that with other uh, other technologies also, because ultimately it's just a conduit. It's 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 means to reach out those diverse audiences uh, who have actually cut the cord, who have actually moved away from traditional app ecosystems. For sure, and since we're on the topic of voice, we should dig into there a little bit. Because I wanted to keep this list pretty short, and I debated it, and ultimately I didn't include audio. But this is something that is has been floating in my mind for a while. Because you'll well, this happens all the time. It's still happening. People love in our industry to declare that things are dead. Yeah. You know, this is this is dead. This is dead. I'll never forget. It was probably 2010, 2011. You know, people had started to declare email is dead. It's all about social. And I remember I was in an agency at the time, and then I shifted to an in-house role at the Nature Conservancy, where email was like king. This is is everything, and it's how people raise millions of dollars to support the cause. And so from that point on, I was like, okay, anytime I see somebody declaring something dead, okay, I'm going to have a natural level of skepticism about this and the person declaring it, because you just can't do it. But back to this thing, audio, podcasting was something that's, you know, really wasn't, it's not a new concept, but over the last maybe three to five years, it's blown up and it's so commonplace now. So people are starting to think about, okay, where is the space for this? And maybe the space is not so much in podcasting innovation because there are people now, they're doing the acquisitions and folding it into major platforms, but maybe it's looking at audios where we're going to see it because you had some things like what Amazon is doing with Alexa skills and things you guys have been doing, but then there's also this level of some innovation that I was seeing where uh, social networks like Twitter were trying to explore. How can we use this? And they introduced audio tweets, which I saw some use for, but not a ton. I don't know. Do you see some potential there? So you, you know what happened with audio tweets and why it hasn't picked up? Um, it's, it's because they, they essentially only rolled out for iOS and uh, I, I'm actually on Android right now. I've been uh, a Google Pixel user now for some time. Uh, I made the switch just because I wanted to try something different. I was an iPhone user for a while. So this came out back in like June, July-ish. And I remember like, you know, trying to up- update my, um, my my Twitter app back then. And I still didn't receive the updates. I was like, okay, you know, you're just going to turn off like 40% of the market share. <laughs> it's not going to go well for you because that's essentially what they did. They, I, I still don't know when it's going to come on uh, Twitter for Android uh, or on the web for that matter. 
There is a significant use of Twitter on the web. People do use the website still, uh, despite there being apps. So it's, it's just within uh, the iOS ecosystem where you have audio tweets. And then, you know, when they first launched it, they, they did a major faux pas where they did not have transcription, I think. And that was a huge, that was a, that, that was a huge negative story that, that popped up. That was the last I heard of audio tweets, to be honest. I mean, I saw a few influencers, um, you know, post their audio tweets, but there was no way to kind of, you know, understand what they were. Because I was, you know, I think I was like, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm scrolling something, as they call it, doom scrolling nowadays, if I'm scrolling through, through something, uh, I may not always have my audio on because I might be, you know, a bit with, with company. I don't want to turn my audio on. There's no way for me to know what that is. And I was like, hmm, is that a GIF? Is that, what is that? And then I remember listening to a couple of them, I was like, it's kind of stupid that you don't have a transcription on because when you see, even with, um, with, with podcasts, you have audiograms, which, you know, which all of them have transcription services built in, uh, mm-hmm. or you kind of connect to something like an Otter AI. I mean, Zoom does it now, for God's sake. So, I mean, to kind of roll out a feature, which is supposed to be, um, you know, a, a cool new thing, uh, and then to disenfranchise a, a, a big chunk of population who is either, uh, you know, not, I mean, either has physical disabilities to listen or uh, is not going to be always having the audio on. It kind of felt, um, you know, not fully thought through. And then you don't even have it on on Android and web. So uh, so we'll see. I think I, I, I want to, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be one of those people who, who says it's dead, you know, because okay. I'm with you. I have seen so many of those, you know, being proven wrong. Most recently, actually, with regards to Twitter itself. I mean, before the current and I'm assuming soon to leave administration took over, Twitter was kind of, you know, languishing. And and then all of a sudden, we know why it, it became this big platform where everything was being talked about and said about. So we'll wait. I'll reserve my judgment on this until it comes on Android, on web. And then we'll really get to see if people are using it the way it's supposed to be used. I think the concept is cool. We have seen use cases for audio, for messaging, with regards to WeChat, with regards to WhatsApp. We have also seen it with, with iOS, although people aren't really using it that much with iOS. So we'll see once it once it really becomes a, a thing uh, across the platforms and see how it kind of evolves. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cool idea right now for me. Awesome, awesome. I think it doesn't take much to breathe new life into something. So we'll see what it turns into. But I think there's big potential there. And within our industry, I think there's always this this pushback on how much time things take and, you know, s- setting things through 3 million levels of review and legal and all of that. And I know sometimes it's useful and important, but other times getting something quick and out there is important too. And I feel like through this audio tweet capability, you might be able to get messages out from an executive communication standpoint with people who may not have a lot of time to craft a major statement, but can sit down and give you some really great knowledge points, thoughtful points. And then you can just get that out there to the same audience who's craving it. So I I look at this as a, a faster way to get that out there for certain groups. And even during this pandemic period, I've been thinking of ways to get more engaged with my team and not put another meeting on the calendar or not send a long email. And I've started an internal podcast for that. But for external audiences, I think that there's huge potential with audio tweets. So I hope they're listening and take your advice um, <laughs> that's expanded to the entire phone universe. And, and, and you know what? You, you know what's, what's interesting? And so here's, here's my... Um... Here's my quick take on, you know, what has worked in the pandemic, right? I mean, I'm sure you've heard of Cameo, the app, right? Yeah. Service. I mean, my God, that company has really figured it out. I mean, I read somewhere, I think just yesterday, that Kevin from Office, if you remember Kevin from Office, or the, the U.S. version of Office, he made, he's going to make something like a million dollars this year just through Cameo. I mean, what a cool innovation. I mean, it's again, you know, it's, it's making these, you know, these, these, these TV stars and, you know, these, these personalities who have sort of a cult following and making them accessible, you know, and it, I, I checked it out briefly, I think last month or so. And I, you know, I was seeing the kind of, you know, recommendations that were coming up and it was really cool. I mean, I remember growing up as a kid and being a huge fan of the WWF. I, it was Mick Foley in there. Mankind was doing cameos for like 70 bucks. And 
I was like, you know, the the 10-year-old me would probably, you know, jump at the opportunity to have Mick Foley wish him a happy birthday, you know. So I think it, it, it really is, as you mentioned about, you know, engagement. And I think to your point, it does have potential to kind of have that authenticity. Uh, and again, voice is, 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 a, is a great, it's a, it's a powerful communication vehicle. Uh, it's definitely more powerful than the written word, I would say, in terms of evoking emotions, as well as in terms of, you know, gaining trust, you know, you know gaining following. So, so yeah. Um, so Tejas, you've now, you've gotten me completely distracted with the WWF reference. And, I, you know, so it sounds like Mick Foley was like one of your guys. For me, it was always The Undertaker. Yeah, Undertaker pretty cool, yeah. <laughs> I, I saw the other day that they, you know, he officially retired and then they did this whole thing. Um, and it really brought me right back. But I say all that to say, I'd love to shift gears a little bit and learn a little bit more about your story if we can. So I, I know I know bits and pieces, but if, you know, if we can dig in a little bit, I'd love to kind of get a greater understanding and share that with the listeners today if you're cool. Absolutely. Okay. So first up, what's your hometown? I was born and raised in Mumbai, or as it was called back then, Bombay. Okay. If you had to pick an intro song that played any time you entered a room, what song would it be? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. I mean, there are just so, so many of them. I, I've really not given this much of a thought, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know. I've always been a fan of classic rock. Uh, I mean, I think I remember, uh, and for some reason, I, this is going to sound cliched, but um, growing up, uh, I, I used to love the acoustic guitar. Um, so I would say that, um, I would say that, I mean, it, it's without sounding too cliched again, um, I would say it would have to be um, You Can't Always Get What You Want by Rolling Stones. I'll be interested. That's 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 kind of you know an interesting choice. I get it, but it's um, it's also kind of the philosophy with which I try to live is because there's just so much there's just so much that you have seen this year itself where you really got to focus on what you need versus what you want. Uh, and this year has kind of been a I would say an year in learning for so many of us to really focus on what matters, what matters the most to us, what matters the most to our families. But in a way, it's it, it's really it's really about that. And so, also, I really love that Bach choir, which comes up at the beginning of the song. I think that just sets the mood. I mean, I just like you know settles the nerves, and it, I would imagine it would make someone take attention, like who's coming into the conference room, you know, with a so choir. <laughs> what is the last podcast you listened to? Ah, uh, there's actually three of them. So I try, I try to really keep myself up to date with the with the with the comings and goings in in India, just because except for you know a few of my family members, none of my immediate family members uh, are in the U.S., but I have a few members of my extended family over here. But everyone else is back in India, so I do keep a track of that. And and there's this one. Um, it's it's not a podcast. It's more of a blog. It's by this publication called The Print. It's led by a very famous journalist in India called Shekhar Gupta. And he has this series, which is known as Cut the Clutter. And you should definitely check it out. He, it's, it's in English. You should check it out. You know, it's, it's something where he picks a topic every single day and it's like a magazine show. So he'll pick a topic and it will range from world affairs to national interest to everything else. One day he'll be talking about vaccines. The other day he'll be talking about the farmer protest in India. So it, it really varies, and he does a really good job of actually cutting the clutter and making me want to like news as opposed to get angry every time I turn on the news. So that's one. The other one is Chambers Talks. Actually, this is, and I promise this is going to be, you know, uh, one of my only plugs in, <laughs> in, in, in this podcast. But Chambers Talks is a podcast which actually we have produced for, uh, for John Chambers. And it's a, it's a new podcast, so I definitely urge all the listeners to go and check out Chambers Talks. And recently, he had the, the CEO of Virgin Hyperloop uh, on it. So it's, it's always interesting. I mean, John Chambers is a great personality, great talk, a great, great orator, and a, and, and a true visionary. Uh, and it's always great to kind of listen to him and, and have this kind of you know, platform where, where people can tune in. And the third one is Jim Cramer, Mad Money. I mean, that guy knows how to entertain. He does a great job, I think, of synthesizing that for the general investor, uh, if I can call myself that. Um, and he does a pretty good job of entertaining me also. And it, it, it comes at a convenient time where, you know, 
uh, I'm done with most of my work for the day and I can just like tune in and actually listen to it in my car. So even though I don't drive much because, you know, I don't have to go anywhere, it's all at home. But occasionally I'll actually just go in and sit in my car and, and listen to this because you know, that's what I used to do before the pandemic is I would listen to him on, on the drive and I was like, you know, running errands. It is funny how we kind of crave the ritual when it, it you know, at, during the time when it was normal, it was just like, okay, this is part of what we do. We took it for granted. I definitely felt that with the daily and especially at the part at the start of the pandemic would find myself coming up with reasons to go to the drive through Starbucks in order to, you know, listen to it in the morning. So that's definitely an interesting one. And no worries about the plugs because John has definitely got some interesting takes that are worth it. I just have one request. If you can get a message to John and either he can take it on or he can pass it along to Elon, I need somebody to create the new version, the 2021 version of the Concord. Because my favorite song, the theme song that would play if I ever went into a room is Return of the Mac. And if you remember the video for that, the first scene is of a Concorde landing. And as a kid, I always said, I'm going to fly that. And of course, we can't today. So, I, you know, if, he can, if you could make that happen, that would be a lifelong dream to happen right there. That is definitely something. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm able to visualize it right now as you're describing it. So, yeah, I would be into it myself. <laughs> definitely. Okay. So what is your favorite word? Ooh, uh, again, so so many um, so many options over here. Well, I mean, if I if I was to really think about this, and you know, I would say the word epiphany is my favorite word. And I know that there are different ways in which you can think of the word epiphany. I mean, there are you know, I think religious connotations associated with epiphany, and there is like you know, uh, but what what I really like about this word is that you will never use this word lightly. I mean, I've never once in my life heard anyone say that they had an epiphany and then it's not followed by a truly cool story or a truly remarkable story or a truly significant breakthrough. So it, it's usually not a word that is used lightly and, and people generally have a great follow through when they use that word. So I think that's, that's why I think that's my favorite word. Now, what is your least favorite word? I mean, I have to say coronavirus <laughs> at this point. I think you'll find many, many uh than that one. <laughs> what sound do you love? I like the sound of the ocean. I think having grown up in, uh, in, in Bombay, and I still refer to it as Bombay because that's what I, you know, I, I grew up calling it. So it's, it's sometimes difficult to call it Mumbai. Uh, but yeah, growing up in Bombay, Mumbai, always being close to the ocean. And so it, it, it's really a sound that A, reminds me of home. As well as it, it, it's like water has this um, liberating quality or feature, which you want to call it. So I do listen to sleep sounds every now and then with ocean waves. That's my favorite sound. Awesome. Awesome. I should try that. I don't have this the connection with the sound of the water, which I do. I love it, but I don't have that connection. But I do have a certain calm feeling that I have from being near the ocean, mm-hmm. knowing that I'm near it and seeing it. Because I grew up in New York. And, you know, so it was either there or Grenada. So, yes, we were always on the beach. But then in New York, I lived in Brooklyn and Queens. So it was always, and I was on the southern shore. And even in Long Island, I was still on the southern shore as well. So you could see the ocean on the way to work. (laughs) It was was like a normal thing. It was part of your commute in a sense. So that was, it's always kind of a thing. That, and because I've usually lived near or somewhere around JFK, airplanes too, some people have by that, I'm not bothered at all. It's just normal. So, okay, let's see here. What profession other than yours would you like to attempt? Does this include, I mean, do I have to be good at it? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's <laughs> the question here. No, no rules. What would you like to do? If okay. you weren't currently? Um, I mean, I've, I've always been fascinated by, um, by, by sports, to be honest. Um, and I, um, growing up, I I always aspired to be a fast bowler playing cricket. It's a huge, it's a huge sport back in India. I mean, in the U.S., it's it's nowhere close to popularity. Right. Uh, but it's it's you know, if you were to combine uh, the tradition of baseball with the fan following of the NFL, that's essentially what you would get with cricket. So we are huge cricket buffs back in India, um, and 
I happen to be, you know, in terms of percentile among the higher percentile when it comes to height. And, uh, and that kind of was a key characteristic needed to be a good fast bowler. Because, you know, the higher you pitch the ball from, the, the greater the possibility of you being able to generate bounce and, and swing. So I did actually play uh, at school level. But it never really it never really materialized further, I guess, because I wasn't that good at it. But given a chance, I would definitely like to try it again because there's there's no better sight, I would, I would say, in 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 professional sports than watching a a true fast bowler run in and you know destroy the stumps or the wickets. And I'm I'm, I'm probably talking. I might as well be talking Greek right now to your listeners who are most likely going to be from America. And wouldn't know. But yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you, should, you should Google for it. Like, you know, watch someone getting clean bowled in cricket and you will know the feeling. <laughs> oh man, no, I, I know it. I don't know it in and out, like you said, like baseball, but I know it because growing up with West Indian parents, the West Indian team and like their heydays and Brian Lara and everybody else. Like, Dude, you guys were the best. I mean, it was such a, such a remarkable team. I mean, so, some of my childhood favorites, I mean, Brian Lara obviously is a childhood favorite. Uh, and it, I mean, it, it, it takes me back. I mean, um, it takes me back to my childhood. It takes me back to so many memories of, you know, we used to have this little joke as, um, as, as while, while we were growing up. And, and sorry, I, I'm, I, I don't mean to digress, but I think it's funny. You'll, I think you'll get a kick out of this. So remember how growing up there were only and again i don't know if you followed cricket that much uh because you know you were here but growing up there were only a handful of teams literally only a handful of teams who played cricket right mm -hmm. and amongst them uh, obviously were the ones which were post-colonial nations like india uh, and pakistan and you know things like that uh and then on the west there was only west indies right uh one of the questions which i would have for <laughs> for my dad would be like well you know if we lose a game against um, West Indies, uh, don't we still win because they are West Indians and we live in West India, which is Bombay. So <laughs> do we still claim that, you know, is it? And he would be like, he would just like laugh his face off because it was like, clutching at straws, you know, we're not that good right now and they are really better. So <laughs> I was always like, oh, they're West Indians. They're like, we are West Indians too. I mean, what would you call Mumbai? West India. <laughs> no, I love that one. I love it. So from we, we talked about profession other than yours you'd like to attempt, what profession would you avoid completely? Oh that's that's so easy. Lawyer. Wow. <laughs> that was great. So last question here. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I'm very sorry for twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> well excellent so we want to let you have the last word so if you could leave our listeners with one quick point a strategy or a tactic that will help them stay up on technology trends what would it be well firstly they should follow me <laughs> they should follow me at nyc on twitter and you know just look me up on linkedin i have a pretty unique name you'll you'll find me as your first hit so uh again plugs aside um, you should really check out the, the usual channels like Hacker News is something which I tune into and it's really a syndication. It's a Y Combinator website which syndicates all of the you know in, interesting happenings in, in the world of tech in one place. And then you should also tune in to specific reddits and subreddits which talk about technology before it really becomes mainstream. That's something which I like to tune to tune into. There's also a, a really cool website called Product Hunt. And it's also a mobile app and you can actually get to see emerging apps and, you know, uh, great apps, which, which otherwise you would have to wait until they become mainstream to play with them and to provide feedback. I mean, one of the, one of the flagship apps, which actually made its way through product ton is Robinhood, the, the zero dollar brokerage app, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are also you know, using right now. So you will get exposure to some of these new and innovative things. And obviously, you know, not all of them will be perfect. But then that's, you know, therein lies the, the, the pleasure and pain of, you know, being an early adopter. So I think if, the, if you really want to kind of, you know, be at that level, then Product Hunt is the website, also the app, which gives you access to a number of apps, which are, which, which are probably going to be mainstream in, in a year or two years. Yeah. 
And with that, we'll close this episode. Thank you for joining us, Sages. Hey, thank you, James. Thanks. And this is one quick point.